Hello, this is Tim Watton. That's Cotton with a W. Welcome to my podcast called The Gift. It's all about having more peace of mind, more power of the mind, uh, being more present and mindful to help overcome life and health challenges. And this has been shown to help bring a lot more resilience, calm and joy. I have a very special guest on my show this week. Her name is Kate Vaughan. I've known Kate for about 15 years, but she recently turned 40. Kate, who's from Wales, but now lives in Sydney, Australia, and actually sounds more Australian than Welsh. Um, she, she calls herself a regular girl, um, maybe even ordinary, but actually she, I'm going to say at the end of this, why she isn't ordinary. She went to university in Nottingham in England before venturing forth into a career in comms and change alongside being a pers personal and sports coach. I met her through work as we were both communicators. Um, but her life has been underpinned by the challenges of mental health issues. Kate started a powerful blog in 2015 after losing her husband, which went viral. It was called Surviving Death Online. She has completed 2,500 skydives. Yes, I'll say that again. 2,500 skydives. That is 2,500 more than I've done. <laughs> and has represented Australia at five world championships, which is why I think she is extraordinary, not ordinary. Kate, welcome to the show. Hey Tim, how are you going? How are you going? Yeah, <laughs> all your Welsh be here. family will we'll, we'll just be crying into the soup now. I know they will into their cowl. <laughs> <laughs> so, how did a lovely girl like you end up living in Australia? Um, well, I think probably just a bit of a whim, really. Um, I got to about. 29 living in London we've been working together yeah London's pretty crazy and full-on and I was just thinking there's got to be is there something better and uh better than working with me yeah not that just, bit darling no yeah, but um awesome. <laughs> just you know the London weather <laughs> and stuff yeah. um and yeah and my 20s were kind of tough too um and I thought well I'm just gonna give it a crack 29 was the 30 was the cutoff for working holiday visas for POMS. Um, hot tip for any young listeners, uh, please come out and give it a crack. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to give it a go. And and within a year, I pretty much knew that I loved it. Mm. Yeah. I remember um, you telling me about I'm off to Australia and you and I used to go up to a particular floor of the uh, company we worked in as consultants <laughs> and had tea and cake uh, of an afternoon, <laughs> uh, occasionally a scone if we were lucky. And yeah, those are very treasured moments. We had a beautiful view of London, including the London Eye and House of Parliament. And yeah, I just remember when you said, I'm off to Australia. And um, yeah, we're going to find out lots of stuff that's happened in between. But what might be something about you, Kate, that very few people realise? Um, I was thinking about this. I mean, I have over over time, I, 
I'm usually pretty honest about you know my challenge challenges that I've had with my mental health. So, but sometimes that can be a bit of a surprise to people. Um, I think you know they see a kind of externally smiley, happy person, and not what's underneath until you choose to share it. But I think the uh, this question actually made me dig dig a little deeper for you, Tim. And I have to admit, I am a secret bird nerd. So I think I'm realizing that I, I'm really into birds and especially in Australia or anywhere really in the world where you're somewhere different. It's just such beautiful bird life around and mm. I do love watching them. So um, a, a twitcher is the word over here. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I don't have the, well, you don't have, have the neck thing and the binoculars, but yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, this actually yeah, is something we may, secret. we may circle back to because I, I reckon that it would be one of the tips or tricks you have to have a bit more serenity and presence just in the moment with watching a bird. And it's something I've learned to do anchoring myself in the moment with nature, mm. particularly birds, actually. So, and mm. bird song actually is one of the calm, most calming things I've encountered. So mm, food for thought, maybe we will talk about this again. Mm. Now change your gears um, and nothing to do with the car, but something a really crazy pursuit that you have done a lot of. So what's it like to jump from a plane and be part of a skydive team? And um, how did you go from being feet on the ground to suddenly, oh yeah, I want to jump out of that plane? Yes. Good question. Um, and when I, left you guys in London there's that was not even a seed in my mind I have to say um so I really it was really just a bit of a win like I bought myself my first skydive package so to speak because it's a couple of days with instruction things I bought that for myself for my 30th birthday as a present wow um so I thought I just wanted to try something different and you know just move to Australia what should I do and uh it was really, really terrifying. And it continued to be terrifying for about 50 jumps, if I'm honest, like absolutely paralyzing fear. Um, but you know, they have a really good supportive structure and you're with multiple instructors holding you at the very beginning until you can demonstrate some skills and you have complete sensory overload. Like it's like having two toilet rolls in front of your eyes. You just don't see anything. You, don't remember anything it's just the most phenomenal learning experience but suddenly like slowly I guess the, your vision opens up and you start to be able to adapt to it mm. and so yeah as that happened you know literally the world kind of opens up around you and you start to see below you and around you and you see the person opposite you like imagine seeing one of your best friends or an, a new friend opposite mm. you in free fall it's just phenomenal and everything once I got through that oh completely yeah and and so once I got through that initial sensory overload period and I was able to start to remember and build skills and get more trust in my equipment that really is what exploded my world <laughs> um because then I found really found so much joy in it and learned that you could be in a team how do you be in a skydiving team? That's a bit weird, isn't it? And you could actually fly your body like a vessel and compete. And once I got kind of 
gathered up into a, my first team and I was learning from this inspiring lady and then it just really changed everything yeah, yeah um, it's fantastic would I be right in thinking that when you're doing this you don't feel mentally uh, at odds it, it almost releases you and you're actually the most calm version of you once you're now you're in the zone doing them if you've had mental um, problems most of your life, do you think it's something that allows you just to be free of them or just be so focused and present that you're not then, oh, woe me, or I'm having, I don't like today? Is there anything in that, do you think? Um, in short, yes, absolutely. Um, I think once you've got to a place in, you know, that for, for skydiving, um, you know, you get your skill level gets to a point where you can be fully present. Um, but I have felt it in other things before, like um, climbing, for mm. example, or when I was training for triathlons and I was super focused. And you know, anything where you are completely absorbed in your activity, then mm. you remove yourself from all the other stuff that's floating around and on your shoulders and that can feel so heavy and and yeah, it does give you a break, um, or certainly gives me a break. And I think it does become quite addictive because you just long for that feeling of being free of free of the other stuff. Mm. And uh, and like you say, Tim, it could be something whatever resonates with the person. Like if it's something as simple as watching the birds in the trees outside my window. Like yeah, there's parallels in it all. Um, probably skydiving might be a bit of an extreme example yeah Yeah. (laughs) i think the bit beyond that though also for me was the competition because competition gave me such a mental challenge you remember your almost choreography in the sky Mm. and the clock is ticking so that you know was a whole nother level then of focus for me and mental rehearsal and preparation and having 30 seconds to just make it work and so that was a whole nother level of it then, which I also found very enjoyable. And then the thing that came out of it, a gift for you, was you met your husband. Yes, I did. You did. I remember and he, it very was, vividly. Um, I hear he was a bit of a star at skydiving and <laughs> represented Australia for many years. Is that right? That's right, yeah. I mean, I met Michael when I was a baby skydiver and I'd heard, you know, heard his name around the place and then I met him and I we had this conversation many times I met him I was really underwhelmed I was thinking oh he's going to be this you know six foot tall bronzed Australian god and um and he was you know, he was a beautiful a beautiful man and uh yeah so I think starting skydiving and then meeting Michael just really changed my life completely his his attitude to life was extremely uh unusual and very inspiring yeah got your attention so much you married Mm. him yes we it was lovely actually we i remember the first couple of times we hung out and we didn't talk about skydiving once Mm. we just talked about what books we liked and where we liked to go hiking and we we found each other and everything around the life that brought us together which Mm. was nice actually really nice it was never about that it was about the people yeah yeah. yeah. Now, for listeners, there's going to be a sad bit of news here. Something 
very sad happened in 2015. Explain to listeners what what occurred um, on in that year. Sure. Um, yeah. So um, Michael Bosali was killed in a, a skydiving accident. Um, so to help kind of understand it, I guess it would be a bit like him being a, a learner driver instructor. So he's mm. also yeah. a very skilled teacher. So um, you know he's driving with a a learner and a semi trailer comes up in front of them or something and um, the learner maybe didn't do the right emergency procedures and he wasn't able to fix the situation and unfortunately they both they both died in the accident um which obviously was extremely catastrophic for me and all his all his loved ones um and also a really big deal for the community as well given that you know he was a very world-renowned teacher and mm. and competitor and spent a dedicated a lot of the last previous 10 years to teaching people how to be safe yeah yeah so there was a huge irony as death that uh, that challenged a lot of a lot of people yeah i remember exactly where i was when i saw on facebook mm-hmm. you'd, you'd messaged about it i was um on, ho- on holiday in egypt um at breakfast and i had to double take and i um i, I see you as a dear friend and i was yeah, just so sad for you and for the. I knew that your marriage was a beautiful relationship. So there was just so many levels, um, such a difficult time. And then what you entered was this, well, probably bottomless piss of, of grief um, that you then had to fathom out at such an early age. Yeah, it ha- sometimes it has really, it has felt like a bit of a, a bottomless pit you know it goes up and down but uh, um yeah i i think for a long time maybe even a year or 18 months i didn't fall into the pit i just kind of forced myself to keep going yeah and you know by then i had a lot of stuff in our lives and i wanted to not let it mess i want it sounds weird i wanted to not let it define me and i wanted to keep going and i want to keep living in the way we lived mm. you know, we led a really amazing positive active life like and i mean we had only been married a year when he died which is awful but we were literally like thriving and it was just the worst possible time for for anything to happen to either of us so yeah, it definitely took about a year or even two years for me to to allow myself to kind of fall into that pit and and really feel it fully. Yeah. And in my intro, I mentioned the blog you started writing because mm. I have a blog and I started in two thousand and eleven, and I found it pretty therapeutic cathartic as I wrote it and therapeutic once it was out there because it allowed people to uh, understand how I was feeling to find my illness all my life and seeing so many people die around me Um, but also the postcard is one of hope as well how would you describe your blog Um, well I completely agree Um, cathartic therapeutic um, 
and the writing after I started it became quite therapeutic for me which is why I continued it but the first one I I wrote surviving death online was was really had a bit of an underlying message for me because the experience that me and my loved ones had during Michael's death was made infinitely more difficult by how people behaved online Mm. Um, and it really is something that we've worked quite hard with in the community to try and educate people about since so you know as soon as the accident happened people were on Facebook sharing information that was their opinion their recollection uh, sharing the news of Michael's death when he wasn't even dead Um, I was there was media everywhere um, you know, I'm trying to get to an airport to fly to be with him and I'm getting calls from people and messages from people who are on the other side of the world. Mm. And I'm trying to get on the phone to the hospital and it it made everything so much more difficult than it needed to be. If, um, yeah, people could just put away their phones and respect the process by the professional police and ambulance crew that were there the drop zone operators, and also just thinking, well, this is someone's son, you know, this is someone's husband, and we have a global family and network all over the world these days. And if it's not your immediate family, you know, you really shouldn't be putting anything out there in a social platform because it has massive repercussions. Mm. Um, so that was really the message that I started the blog with because it was something I felt very passionate about. It caused a lot of pain needlessly on top of what we were experiencing. So, yeah, and it did hit home. I'm very thankful to say it went viral through our skydiving community. Um, and, you know, we have unfortunately had a couple of accidents since then. And uh, I see it now more in the processes around accident management and at operations when things happen to give you know, especially younger people or newer people in the sport guidance when they're at the scene you know call your loved ones but stay off social media and that's so important i think for any aspects any any part of life car accidents anything like that for for all of us yeah sage advice what what do you think you've learned about yourself during this challenging awful sad time but but at the same time i don't want to make it all doom and gloom you know you're know, still here you've come through what, what do you and, and i imagine with each passing year there's something new that you found out about yourself that you encountered yeah. and got through yeah there is i mean uh it's you know it's i think that's one of the big things i've learned about grief in general that it is bigger than any of us and it takes time and it's not something we I don't believe it's actually something we ever get through I think it's something that you carry and yeah sometimes it's going to be heavier and sometimes it's going to be lighter things I've learned about myself um I think probably that I am a lot more resilient than I've given myself credit for Mm -hmm. and that we can be, you know, since in the last few years, maybe if I'm really nervous at work about to do a presentation, I just think, come on, you stood in front of 500 people 
at a funeral and you spoke about your husband you can do this you know it, mm. it does give you other things to draw on to give you strength in life and perspective and it makes you realize what you what you can do it and what you can survive yeah 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 and yeah and i think the other thing as well is that it's helped me realize that you know our, our hearts can cope with a hell of a lot and you can still find joy and hope i mean hope is something i have struggled with a lot through grief but you are you can still find those things and get those things even when you have experienced something really really heartbreaking and catastrophic yeah, yeah. there's definitely some uh, parallel though for different reasons with um my resilience and w when i'm having a just about to have a tricky meeting or a job interview or um something that isn't going to be an easy situation for me because of my long-term health conditions i say well if i can survive that killer disease mm. this meeting this interview is going to rock it's going to be fine i'll get through yeah um so for those who are listening and have had grief are grieving uh, or who have life and health challenges actually don't underestimate that actually it's kind of useful to contextualize what your maybe your, your today's challenges because if you can get through something that's bigger than you you tend to be able to get through the the minutiae of small things that other people may expand to being too big um, as i tell my my 12 year old son 95 percent of things he worry about never happen and I think <laughs> oh, I, I think that helps, and, it ha and that's a, I think that statistic is pretty similar for us adults. Um, I agree. You, you did help change the law in Australia. Maybe explain uh, to to listeners how that came about and your epiphany that you really knew that you had to do something to change it. Mm. Well, um, yeah, we. Well, firstly, I should say I think the law legislation has like like most things like that take a, take a long time to change but we have seen some amazing periods of change and realization recently in australia with banking laws um yeah so obviously you know someone passes away and you have all their affairs to sort out and uh one of the thing about michael and i's situation being quite newly married reasonably newly married was you know every all of our banks or anything like that any administrative things weren't instantly in mr and mrs vaughan so um you know we had our wills in place and different things but what i noticed was that it it was actually very difficult to execute some parts of michael's affairs because it was only in his name not both of ours which i think is a little old-fashioned these days um but more importantly what i noticed was that you know, uh, the, the lots of institutions would recognise, uh, for example, a death certificate, mm -hmm. but not necessarily a marriage certificate and then authority to instantly manage their affairs. You know, you yeah. still had to go to a supreme court and you have to get probate or other things like this. But in that time period, from the date of death, fees, charges, um, you know, maybe uh, fines for non-payment, all that sort of stuff happens 
regardless. So they don't seem to really honor the date of death as a point from which then it becomes an estate. And of course, getting things like probate and stuff like that takes a long time. Mm-hmm. And I knew our affairs and I was ringing them. I was like, okay, look, I really want to you know, close that out. I really want to finish that off. And they wouldn't let me. So I was completely hamstrung. And I knew that charges and different things would be adding up in the background, and they were. And my situation then took about eight months to get the authority I needed. And, of course, there was eight months of stuff there extra. And I was just appalled. Mm. I was really appalled because the person has passed away. And, yes, you know, anyone's debt or credit card is is needs to be sorted out. And I was desperate to try and just clear it all up. And yet they refused to do that and let me access things and and it racked up. So yeah, I just started started writing to people and campaigning a little bit and and it were you know, I don't think legislation yet has changed in that area specifically, but it certainly added to the weight in the public eye that we had at the time for what we had since, which is a Royal Commission into Banking Conduct. And we had a lot of other things come up in that where they were charging um, deceased people fees and and it all came out really. Um, So I don't think we've changed the the law yet, but it certainly contributed to beginning that process and getting it all out in the open, yeah. Well, I'm sorry you had to have more misery on top of you know the death of your hubby because you had to go through all that um but you you still skydive don't you and was there yes. was there um any or it must have taken a while for you or did you want to get back on the proverbial horse explain to me how you, how you went about that and i can only assume don't know but i can only assume your loved ones around you had mixed emotions about you doing it again. Yes. Um, I mean, in terms of loved ones, I think my parents really would probably be the only ones who I would care about their opinion. And (laughs) they have actually been phenomenally supportive and they, they have never said to me, don't, don't jump, which I think is, unbelievably phenomenal as a parent um and yeah i mean at the time i didn't i kept going quite intensively at the time after michael died because i was in a a team we had like a two-year commitment as a team we were training a lot we were getting ready for the next world championship so i just kept going and it's only this year which is about four years since michael died that i took a little break because i felt really burnt out and uh and I think with hindsight, I'm glad that I did that, even though it was absolutely exhausting and it was extremely difficult to be around skydivers and in the community when I was going through that. Um, and everybody was full of grief themselves and being around his peers, you know, um, it was very challenging. But I'm glad now that I did and I didn't just stop because I think if I had just stopped, then I would never have gone back to it. Yeah. Um, I needed to be with my team and the, the girls in my team, you know, we all went through that together and they had to see me at my worst. And, you know, sometimes I would get really upset in the plane and uh, 
one of my first competitions after Michael died was on our birthday. We share the same birthday. It was phenomenally difficult. But um, being in a team, I think, gave me some security through that period. And, and yeah, more recently, I had a little break because I felt quite burnt out. But I do still get so much joy from being in the sky. Mm. Um, and I love that peaceful moment that I get under my parachute with which is really one of the times where I feel closest to Michael. I get to hang around up there and just fly around mm. with the birds and think about him flying next to me. And yeah, I still feel close to him when I do that. I bet. And yeah. thanks for being uh, so transparent about that. It's not an easy thing to share. Now, you know this blog, is, so this blog, this podcast is about um, the power of the mind and being present. We're going to sort of delve into that a bit more now um just generally through life because you know it's a bit of a roller coaster for you what have you learnt, and how would you distill down what you've learned about the power of your mind um i'd say a little bit about what we've mentioned before just um that we are more resilient than what we think but um in terms of the power of the mind you know as you mentioned, Tim, you know, over the years, I've, I've had a lot of issues with uh, my mental health, so namely depression and anxiety, and have been lucky enough to have a lot of therapy, <laughs> which has been hugely helpful. Um, and uh, one of the things that I really came out with from that is that you hear the phrase, we are not our thoughts, right? Mm. And beyond that, one, one lady I saw really helped me early on by telling me, our thoughts are real, but they are not the truth. Mm-hmm. And that in particular, I kind of take with me a lot that you know, um, our brains generate thoughts constantly because that's what they're designed to do to protect us and keep us alive. But they're not necessarily real and they're definitely not truthful a lot of the time. Um, so I think I, I definitely have learned that and used that a lot to help me to... Um, correct any um, poor thinking or bad habits that I'm doing with my own thoughts to challenge them. Um, and I think the other thing about the power of the mind is, you know, through sport or whatever it is in your life, if, I think I've learned that if I can control where I'm thinking, control my focus of attention in particular, it really gives you the most amazing ability to step back from anything you're in and almost have a a bit of a timeless a t- sense of timelessness that can really be profoundly in the room with people and and then allows you to connect with people um, in a really different way um, than if you're constantly a slave to that kind of whirlwind of washing machine of thoughts that's going around and yeah is that your experience too yeah i I think i've learned that i am the most important person i'll ever speak to (laughs) yeah and when you've had that epiphany as i had about 10 years ago when it was feeling all too much um when i got my diabetes added to my cf um that was when i was down the proverbial 
uh, fork in the road for me, which way do I go mentally down the path and probably my physical health, my health with it, or I had to find a different way. And uh, I've learned that do lean in to people because actually those that you think will help you often go the extra mile for you and are listening. And it's actually, they're more powerful just listening than actually talking. Uh, I've also learned that if you keep hearing maybe something, the name of a book or a saying, write it down and follow it and get after it because you're meant to hear it. Don't, you know, <laughs> I do encounter people, I give them, they may ask for advice and I give them something and they don't write it down and they look disinterested. I'm like, you're not going to follow that up, are you? <laughs> you know, and I know the ones that are going to do something because they're straight on their mobile phone making a note or Amazon or whatever it might be. And you know that bloody hell, they're going to go after that and because they needed to hear it. Um, so that some people are more awakened to hearing a bit of uh, mentoring advice or something that's going to mm. be of use, use to them. And maybe the majority of people are daydreaming and aren't maybe present enough to realize what they've just heard is going to be super helpful to them. Um, mm. Which actually leads into my next question around what would you say is your version of being present uh, and how does it help you? Um, my version of being present um well, I have a, uh, I liked a, a particular phrase I heard uh, someone say a long, long time ago saying, when you're in the room, be in the room. Mm -hmm. And my tools for that are always breathing. So I, and uh, just having a, you know, a quick body scan of, you know, what's going on in my body and trying to breathe into my belly to calm my nervous system a little bit. Um, that's really my tool. Um, and yeah just trying to get out of my head a little bit and yeah you I know think, uh, the thing oh, sorry, sorry. no no you're speaking Kim. i was just gonna i was just gonna add you know the one thing that has really helped me over my well, all of my life but my adult life in particular is uh, movement as well so you know we can sit and breathe and we can stare at the back of our eyelids but sometimes we can feel so much turmoil that that even that won't crack it Mm -hmm. And uh, for me, movement and being in nature and, yeah, even just getting, making yourself get up and take a walk around the block just to shift mm. the energy, help you to breathe a little bit. So it's something as simple as that can help me to be back in my body. Yeah. yeah. So to finish the following sentence, which is, I feel most alive when I dot, dot, dot. What would that be? What would be, what would follow after ellipsis for you? Um, when I am fully in my body mm. and by that I mean not in my head yeah okay yeah I thought you were going to say when I meet you again Tim but <laughs> you failed the test I know. Kate. failed the test oh I'm sorry I'm but sorry. you're going to be over from Australia and I sincerely hope we can catch up in London so maybe that, um, that will actually occur um what would be one daily habit or routine that contributes to your mindful approach to your resilience? What would you say that habit or routine is? Mm. Um, for me, it would be 
movement, any form of movement, whether it's go for a run, whether it's go down near the beach or go to the park and do some yoga, any movement that gets me out of the house in an outdoor setting, um, preferably near something green. Um, I know there's lots of research now on green exercise versus grey exercise for outdoor versus indoor. And Ooh. I've definitely noticed that in myself. Um, I think Mind uh, in the UK started that research quite a while ago. Mm. Um, and yeah, that ultimately is a daily habit or routine that I don't like I must get my feet to sort myself out. If I can't get it first thing in the morning before the day runs away, then I then I, I'll get home from work or wherever I've been and I, I feel like I need to go and get that dose of fresh air or yeah. get to the ocean or get to a place that helps me to feel back in my body. Yeah. Yeah, I've noticed um at work uh, I'm probably driven or have more purpose to get out and get see the day out that's going on be close to nature even just look at clouds just for even a short while do some meditative deep breathing from the diaphragm if i spent the whole day in the office and didn't get out i would feel that i was almost in jail and um i know most people do and i know we all can have very super busy days that you would then say i couldn't get out because it was busy i I just Mm. know from my own experience, how my day is improved, my productivity is improved even just for a short spell outside. Um, not least because I have such a desire to live every single day like it's my last. You know, if my every day, my last day was sitting in an office, you know, put a gun to my head. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because every day for me feels like something that's an event, feels special. So if I can mm-hmm. see something that's special outside. If I've missed it, then I feel pretty uh, dismal about that. There was a lovely rainbow only today. Um, put a picture on Facebook because, do you know what? In between, it was very heavy rain. But that one minute of rainbow I spotted and it just felt uh, a very beautiful and serene moment. Um, and I'm always on the lookout for them because then that helped my day feel very special. Um, I agree it can can't it It can just give you a little bit of a lift um yeah and I think just if I could add to him like you know we do live in we do live our lives indoors don't we and we all we all have to go to work and we have to get on the underground and we have to get on the bus and sometimes it's not possible to go and have a joyful run through the bushes like let's face it and often in, in whatever country we're in the weather might not be great but that I think that's the other thing then where you know, the power of the mind that you talk about can be so useful because if we can't go there, we can also visualize there. Mm. And there are so many great resources now online for people to listen to and plug into. And the visualization of something can be exactly the same as doing it, I've learned. And uh, yeah, I think even if you can't go there or get maybe exactly what you need in real terms, you can always still go there with your mind. And yeah. uh, imagine that and, and benefit from it still yeah and, and my bit of a salient advice to listeners would be don't expect you know it to be your new habit to be perfect from the get-go practice makes progress just stick at it mm. 
don't expect to be you know world class at meditation in your first session in fact your brain will just take you elsewhere and you'll feel quite a failure most of the time just keep doing it and realize even one minute of deep breathing is actually more beneficial than you realize um and that's something i would definitely have always said to people that you know where i was 10 years ago with understanding being more present and um the power of serenity i'm just on a different scale now but i'm still learning a lot and i'm nowhere near the finished article i never will be uh, i know people who been meditating for 30, 50 years and they still they're just really getting going um so don't beat yourself up and that whole judging thing be your self-coach not your self-critic i think that's something that i find very useful mm, i like that uh one thing for you i mm. always like asking this of people what's what's the one book you've got the most from <laughs> That's a very difficult question. <laughs> um, but I, I think something that I have reread recently that I go back to, which I love, is a book called The Gifts of Imperfection, which is a Brene Brown book. Brene Brown's probably uh, quite a much more well-known name than she was five years ago. But um, yeah, I, I think there's so much... Uh, there's so much truth people can find in that book about different aspects of themselves and, and also helps me to understand other people around me. Yeah. yeah, not just for me, but to understand, well, what else might be going on underneath for that person that can make me understand and, and find a bit more compassion. Yeah. Okay. Good, good. There's also, um, sorry, one more that, yeah, yeah. um, if you don't read the content, it's fine. Cause it's very meditation heavy, but John Kabat-Zinn's book. Oh yeah. I, lo I just love the title, Wherever You Go, There You Are. Yeah, I know that book way well. In fact, because um, I'm, I'm, as a communicator, uh, you'll understand this, um, I'm a note taker, but in, with books I like, I, I'm not a Kindle fan, but with books, it's always a paperback. I get my pencil out and I'm making notes all the way through. And that book, every single page is littered with notes. It's a very powerful book mm. and very helpful. Mm. Uh, certainly when you're in your early stages of understanding being more mindful and present so thanks for bringing it up no uh now uh i don't know how difficult this next question will be for you but uh, what day might you want to go back to and why in your life kate mm, um yeah i would have to be quite selfish and choose a day to be with be with Michael again I think and uh, I think I'll go beyond the cliche of my wedding day because weddings are busy and full of people and I'll be selfish and go back to my first anniversary where we've got to have a magical time just us for you know just 48 hours in our little bubble and yeah I would go back there for okay. sure. It's nice to hear. <laughs> now as this uh, podcast is called The Gift what might be your gift, if you could unwrap it for listeners, and I know you've already shared a lot of very sage advice, but what might be either a quote you've heard that you like or uh, a bit of your own advice that you may want to bestow on us? Well, um, I'll do both actually. So in terms of advice, I would, I would just say find out 
we need to find our own way to be present. Like it doesn't matter if it's doing mindfulness or coloring in a mandala or you know combing your daughter's hair. It doesn't matter what it is and don't put too much pressure on yourself about having to be good at mindfulness because it's the latest thing or good at Pilates or whatever it is or yoga. Mm. Like mm. find whatever it is that works for you and and just go with that. Um yeah, that would be my thing. Oh, it's very wise. Um, and I think a quote that I really love is part of a larger poem. And the poem is by a lady called Mary Oliver. It's called Don't Hesitate. And the bit from it I love, it's, she says, joy is not made to be a crumb. And I just find that so delightful. Um, she's basically telling you, you know, when you do get that little spark of joy in a source, don't hesitate, like, go for it. Let it happen, let it come, and because there's more there, and you just also, I think we all deserve more than just a little crumb of joy once or twice in our life. You know, it is, it can be there if you let it in, yeah, and see it. So, yeah, I, love no, that I like that. I like that. And judging on the size of cakes we used to eat, uh, it was more of a crumb. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, good times. It's a good yeah. job. Neither of us are the size of uh, the Pillsbury Doughboy with what we used to eat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's lovely. And thank you. Um, you've been a very special guest. And it means a lot that you're on this, my show, not least as a friend, but I think you're going to be very helpful to people in what you've experienced, but also how you've come through and are coming through. Um, if people did want to contact you, Kate, what, how would you, uh, what would you suggest they do? Yeah, sure. I'm always willing and happy to make contact with people. Um, you can look at my blog. It's called Woman Widow Friend um, on WordPress. Um, I'm on Facebook as Kate Bourne. And then um, you can also find me through Instagram or Twitter. I have an older handle there from uh, my maiden name so i'm a weird handle called langers langers in oz um langers in oz. i'm sure if you find tim you'll you'll find me not far not far off <laughs> great um well thanks very much for being on the show um means a lot as i said thank you it has been really so much fun to chat and thank you for challenging me to think about things Thank you for your blog in your podcast. I'm loving, I'm loving what I'm learning through you. Thank you. And I look forward to seeing you when you're uh, over in the UK in the next uh, few weeks. So, so thank you very much, Kate. And for listeners, do keep uh, listening. Do, if you haven't subscribed, how very dare you, do subscribe. And uh, do tell others, others about this podcast because that's how... Um, modern marketing works word of mouth from a trusted friend so um, if you want to know more about me uh, Tim Watton then my website is that name timwatton.com um, and as I always leave you I'm going to say I'm going to say goodbye yours cup half full all the best bye <laughs>